0: Father God, thank you that um, there is so much more for us than just um, just a, a basic belief in you, Father. Thank you that you urge us to move forward in our faith. And Holy Spirit, I ask now that you um, release each and every one of these guys just to have open minds and open hearts to hear what you have to say today. Make my words wise and make them straight from you, Lord. Amen. So when I, was, uh, when I was younger, probably from about the age of five, um, me and my sister had a game um, called Marina and Jenny. Now Marina and Jenny is, is like an imaginary game. So we both have very vivid imaginations and we, we did back then. So we had this game where, and we created these characters. Um, so she was Marina Collins, the detail, um, and I was Jenny Baker. And basically, we would created these characters of these kind of these grown-up girls, these grown-up women. So they went through different stages of life. So they um, they went to university together, but also Marina seemed to have a funny likeness to all the lecturers at the university, and all the things. My sister played all the other parts. Basically, they both had boyfriends. Mine was called Nick Baker. Sorry, Ben. And um, and um, they, eventually, they kind of, they kind of grew up together, and they um, got to adult life, and then. Um, they had to get jobs. And of course, it's very imaginative young girls. You know, we really wanted to dream big when you go for the impossible. And So Marina and Jenny became travel agents. <laughs> that, that's as big as it got for us. So I have a question for you guys. How big did you dream? Did you go as big as being a travel agent? Not that there's anything wrong with being a travel agent. Um, did you go that big? Um, did you go bigger? Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, or for some of you the question which is more relevant is what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, so you've got a few minutes on your tables just to chat a little bit about uh, yeah, what did you want to be when you grew up? Go. I look forward to hearing about some of those and whether anyone could really be travel agents. Um, Looking forward to hearing about those. The best answer I've heard is that someone wants to be a horse when they go (laughs) Surprising. Very nice. (laughs) Uh, This Sunday marks the first of four stops on a four-week journey through the book of Philippians in the Bible. And this is a series that we're going to call Grow Up. Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to one of the first ever churches. So he planted this church and founded it just a few years before. So let's turn to Philippians now. So it's Philippians 1. If anyone has a page number, they can shout it out. The year is 62 AD, and Paul is writing, or most likely dictating, from a prison cell, probably in Rome. He's been there for days, maybe months. It's dark nearly all the time because daylight, or even seeing your hand in front of your face, is a luxury. The smell is sickly, and the thick air of disease floods his nostrils all the time. The sound of people weeping and groaning and begging, the sounds of people driven mad, the sounds of people wasting away in disease and despair, are a constant, soundtrack of his current existence. He barely sleeps for fear of violence and for the pangs of near starvation. Some days, the best of days, he gets something to eat. Chains bind his feet and hands. He might even be in something similar to the stocks, but these aren't just a, a comical <coughs> prop or a safeguard. They are driven tightly his neck, his wrists, his ankles, rubbing into wounds and blisters and sores on top of the bloodied scars of torture and shipwreck and hard labour. Back then, you get put in prison because they want you dead. It's not a corrective institution. Knelt in the dust and the filth of the prison. He writes these words. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ Which is better by far, but it is more necessary for me that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This letter is astounding because it's written in absolute honesty. And vulnerability. Paul's not beating around the bush. And unlike his letters to the other churches, such as Galatia or Ephesus, Paul isn't writing as their church founder and advisor, correcting and teaching them. He's (coughs) writing out of deep friendship. And as he says in verse 8, he writes with longing and he he loves these guys. (laughs) He loves them with the affection of Christ. These are big statements of love and friendship. And you can find out more about the start of the church in Philippi in Acts 16. He's not trying to impress them, teach them, and he's not even saying this, even just to set an example. He's just stating the bare facts of who he is, what's been happening in his life, and what he lives by. To live is Christ, and to die is Is gain. This is what a grown up Christian looks like. Paul has been through it all from suffering to ecstatic joy, from ultimate prestige to the lowest of prisoners, through friendship, betrayal, wealth, poverty, education, family, travel, illness, (coughs) even blindness. There's a richness to his experience and his wisdom, but at the end of the day, Paul is still just a person, like you or I. This letter shows the rawness of his humanity. He loves the Philippians. He values their friendship and the companionship of Timothy and Epaphroditus. The very point of his writing the letter is to thank the Philippians for sending him money and provisions, if you look at chapter 4. This is his only way of getting food and care to survive whilst in prison. Paul values the things that we value. Too often, we write off people like Paul as as superhuman, with a maturity and a groundedness in their faith which is too distant for us to aspire to. This letter drives against such a notion. To write with total vulnerability and honesty whilst facing a 50-50 chance of either a life filled with persecution or imminent execution... And to still say that it's a win-win situation, that real living is Jesus, and that death is a game, death is to actually be side-by-side with Jesus, this is what a grown-up Christian looks like. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul has a perspective which isn't limited to the early church. It's an attitude of faith which transcends his context, and lifestyle, and it is possible for us, even in our relatively comfortable and non-threatening existence in the West today. To live is Christ, and to die is gain.
1: Just to let you know, at this
0: point, I feel overwhelmed. It's possible, but it seems impossible. It doesn't seem to translate well into our everyday world. We'll unpack more of what this catchphrase um, means um, in just a little bit, but first, let's break it down uh, to understand what maturity actually is and what it looks like. In this short passage, we get all but a glimpse of the grown-up Christian life, a snapshot of maturity, which we can walk through into an understandable, um, palatable chunk So, let's take a flying visit through them uh, together. So, start at verse 18. (coughs) Paul continues to rejoice, not just because of their friendly old Philippians, but because Christ is all. One of the symptoms of maturity is joyfulness in all circumstances. Verses 19 and 20, Paul is expectant of God's miraculous deliverance. There's not much reason or logic to suppose that for certain he's getting out of prison alive. After all, he ends up in prison quite a lot. When he first met the Philippians back in Acts 16, he he got thrown in jail then as well. So it's not far-fetched. In fact, it's it's pretty reasonable for him to suppose that this time might be the, the last time. This time might be the one that takes his life. But he eagerly expects and hopes. He has wholehearted expectancy of God's power to release him. The third symptom we come across, uh, verse 20, I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Stop there. He has God-given courage that defeats shame. Another symptom. Staying in verse 20, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Paul is steadfast, now as always. He is steadfast in keeping Christ at the centre and in every corner of his life and everywhere in between. Now as always, steadfastness. Jumping ahead to verse 22, fruitful labour. His work satisfies, his work counts for something. It bears fruit. How often do we see our own Monday mornings as fruitful labour? Another symptom of maturity is having security in our destiny. Verse 23, Paul excitedly anticipates and actually can't wait to eventually be with Christ. He is totally secure in what will happen to him even after death. These are only a few of the symptoms of maturity. They are just a a snapshot of how maturity in Christ plays out in Paul's attitude. But imagine your life. It's the core, distinct attitudes of these, of joyfulness, expectancy, courage that defeats shame, steadfastness, fruitfulness, and total security in where you're headed. Maturity in Christ doesn't instantly sound that appealing, but when it's broken down into these distinctives, we recognise it in Paul's attitude, and we, we have to ask, what would my life look like if it was actually lived like this? How differently would I approach my job, my money, my relationships, my home, my future, if, it was, if I was characterised, by just a few of these attitudes of maturity. What if we actually lived like grown Christians? Thank goodness <laughs> we're not just expected to, to just live up to a list of mature attitudes. Like I said, those two I just named are just symptoms. An overflow, it's a, they're a result of a core way of being that is maturity in Christ. Paul describes the heart of it in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul is a human being, like us. Being a grown-up Christian is recognising that we haven't sorted it out ourselves that we're works in progress and that God saved us for purposes which are within our reach, but we haven't fully got hold of yet. Maturity isn't living up to a tick list, it's pursuing God wholeheartedly. Not to get something out of it for ourselves, but just for the sake of knowing him better, being shaped by him and so becoming like him. He is worth pursuing for himself maturity is not the attainment or the pretense of a perfect attitude. Maturity is life about Christ and death bringing even more life. So how come, somewhere along the way, I've mistakenly decided that maturity in Christ is number one, all about me, and number two, boring. I don't know about you, but for me, I thought that growing up in faith was getting to that magical point when everything is easy. In my world, I still slip into this all the time, this attitude of I imagine that one day I will loud and clear, constantly without any effort or discernment be able to hear the voice of God calling me out throughout the day encouraging me. (laughs) Telling me all the secrets of the universe and of my own life without any need for effort or work or or having to listen. I imagine I won't have to make any difficult decisions anymore. And so God will just tell me this perfect, painless plan of my life, so I can just follow it step by step without actually having to consider it. I imagine that I'll spring out of bed every morning, and that I'll have hours of meaningful, book-worthy times of Bible study and prayer, and that never again will a day go by where I feel awkward or guilty in a cell group because everyone else seems to be doing better or being holier than me. Every Sunday, church will be amazing. That the worship will always be life-changing, and that I'll always enjoy it, and that people will always speak into every area of my life and do all the work of nurturing and teaching and disciplining me, all within an hour and 15 minutes per week. But this isn't maturity. It's childishness. Instead of saying, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, our lives too often say, to live is gain, and to die is Christ. You see, a mature, to live is Christ life, is life all about Jesus, that echoes his life on earth. A childish, to live His gain life is one that seeks an easy life, where circumstances ought to change to fit around us, rather than ourselves being changed by our circumstances. to live His gain thinks that it's everyone else's job to discipline them and nurture them and grow them up in faith. Or that they don't really need to know more of God because... They've got enough of him to be going on with, thanks very much. It limits Jesus to being a guarantee, an insurance policy of to to die is Christ. The childish to live is gain is like being a spiritual Peter Pan. Never wanting to grow up. Not realising that to stay stubbornly rooted in immaturity, resisting the call of God to real life, is to end up drifting into being a lost boy. However, God invites us from childishness into childlikeness. Let's look at a great example of this in Jesus' life. You can turn with me, if you like, to John 6. We're just going to whip through. <coughs> Jesus is preaching to the crowds who have followed him after he's miraculously fed thousands of people on just a small boy's packed lunch. Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never Go hungry, And he who believes in me will never go thirsty. In other words, Jesus is telling us that he's our sustenance, our survival. To rely fully on him and the freedom that his death brought us, as necessarily and as desperately as we do upon food, is to have everlasting fullness of life. Jump to verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Childishness. Childishness turns up for the miracle bread that feeds thousands. Childishness um, turns up for the sermons and the healings. Turns up for the gain. And goes home when Jesus points to a higher calling of total trust in following him all the way to the cross. Childishness is to live his game. And when Jesus points to himself as the way of life, the childish walk away. Because his way is the way of sacrifice. His way is the way that costs. It's the way that leads to maturity. Moving from God as a comfort blanket to God as life to the full. Childlikeness is seen in verses sixty-seven to eight. Turning to the twelve disciples, Jesus asks, "You do not believe, do you?" Simon Peter answered him, "To whom, Lord, shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know." that you are the Holy One of God. Don't you hear the echoes? To live is Christ and to die is gain. The disciples show us that maturity comes in childlikeness. Peter definitely doesn't get it right all the time. But childlikeness is pursuing God to the point where you don't have a plan B anymore. It's having such reliance upon him that you can't even consider the alternatives. And like Peter, you ask, to whom shall we go? Childlikeness is the conviction that to truly live is to live with Christ and like Christ. Do you remember the moment that you realised your parents were human? That they were vulnerable? That they couldn't fix everything? The moment that they let you down, or they misunderstood me, misunderstood you, or hurt you. The moment that they really lost it, or they really embarrassed themselves. The horror of realising that they were almost as weak as you were. Childlikeness with God is knowing that he is stronger than you are. He isn't human. He will not embarrass himself or hurt you. He knows you and will never misunderstand you. He can turn around the most impossible of situations. It doesn't always feel like it. But looking to him in childlikeness, we believe and we know that he's the one who can save us from ourselves time and time again. Jesus came to earth so, we could see God in the flesh, to know Him, to follow Him, and so He could lay His life down for us in the ultimate sacrifice, loving us, suffering for us, to bring us freedom and fullness of relationship with Him. To live is Christ, is to live for Jesus and like Jesus. It's to lay your life down as He laid His down. It's to lay aside your rights, lay aside your grudges. To lay aside everything. To live as Christ is to lay your life down every day in the decisions that you make, in the way that you treat your spouse, your friends, your colleagues, to lay your life down before God as an offering every day so that he can save you, so he can mature you. This is what a grown-up Christian looks like. We find Paul in the letter to the Philippians, in chains, bleeding and bruised for the gospel, yet speaking with joy, expectant of God's miraculous power, courageously overcoming the shame of his situation, steadfast in his faith, knowing his work and suffering is fruitful, secure in his future with God, whether it brings death or life we are reminded that maturity must be possible for us because it's possible even in the worst of circumstances. Paul had grown up out of the childish ways of self-pity and self-righteousness and sitting on the fence. With a childlike faith in his father God, Paul lays down his life for the gospel, for a prize worth Pursuing. What about this challenges you today? How grown up are you? When we see the symptoms of maturity displayed in in this passage we've looked through of joyfulness, expectancy, courage, steadfastness, fruitfulness, and security, which ones are hitting you square between the eyes? Which one is the Holy Spirit nudging you about? Because God wants to grow you in it. With a childlike faith, we can approach our God, our Father, in trust and obedience. To admit that sometimes we're living for gain instead of living for Christ. We need to step up as he parents us into what it means to live is Christ, to die is gain. As he invites us from childishness into childlikeness. By no means am I standing here as someone who's got this sorted. No way. This is a lifelong journey that we're all on. But the steps start today. Part of being a grown-up is choosing that it starts now. Is deciding that the first step you take out of this place is going to be one of maturity. One that says to live is Christ and to die is gain. G2 has always been there for being a young church, but I want us to be characterised by maturity, being perhaps young in years, but grown up in faith. Maturity for each of us is lifelong, but the steps do start today. I can't say enough, it starts today. It's not something we can put off. Childishness thinks it'll never happen. It doesn't need to happen. Childlikeness says, Yeah, I'm up for it. I'm ready. I'll launch straight into it. I want to pray for us all before we respond. Holy Spirit, continue your work in those, those people who have felt prompted, who feel like they're being nudged to step out in maturity. Father, we thank you that um, your call, your up, the upward call in Christ is not one of just boredom. It's not one which is just a mess. But it's one where you're seeking to grow us in every day, in every decision of our lives. Father, I pray that you would make it really clear to us now where are we being childish, Where do you want to move us from childishness into childlikeness? We want to be honest with you. We want to come before you, vulnerable, honest, childlike, in our trust of you, Lord. Because we know that more is possible with you. You proved it to us, Lord. You prove it to us time and time again that more is possible. And that our lives can speak of... To live is Christ and to die is gain. Steep that in His Lord. And help us to move on into maturity.